Good morning. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to James chapter 4. James 4, we're continuing in our sermon series. And uh, as you're doing that, I, I think we would all agree that few things have the power to hurt relationships like our words. And it's interesting that uh, a few years ago, the New York Times ran an article uh, about a small town in Missouri called Mountain Grove. And uh, evidently, gossip and rumors had always kind of existed in this tight-knit community, as it does in any community. But before the days of anonymous social media sites, people like to trade stories about one another at a local diner called Dee's Place. And so at, at Dee's Place, you could uh, usually find uh, uh, several long-term residents there who would gather each morning to talk about, you know, sports and weather, politics, and their neighbors. But the article said that more and more people in this town of 5,000 had shifted from sharing the latest news and rumors over eggs and coffee to a social media site called Topics, where you could write and read negative posts, all cloaked in anonymity about one another. And so, relationships in this town were being ruined because of what people were saying about one another, whether true or false. A waitress named Phoebe Best said that the site had provoked fights and even caused divorces. The diner's owner, Jim Deverall, called topics a cesspool of character assassination. And Shane James, the cook there, said his wife, Jennifer, had been the target of one of these posts, which described the mother of two as a methed-out, doped-out addict with AIDS. Now, none of that was true, but of course the damage had been done. Nothing can hurt relationships like our words. And this kind of thing obviously doesn't just happen in small towns. Let me ask you, has anyone ever said something about you, whether it was at work or at church or in your family? You know how extended families can get sometimes. That, that was untrue or, or misinformed or negative or judgmental. Has anyone ever communicated something behind your back and you found out about it that they wouldn't ever say to your face. In other words, they said things about you to others so that you would be diminished in other people's eyes. Well, we've all experienced that. We've all been wounded and have wounded others with our words. See, the sins of the tongue can be a problem in our church, and interestingly, it was a serious problem in the church back in James's day. And so that's why he addresses the tongue, our speech, over and over, as you've noticed, in this letter. In fact, Keith uh, preached a, a sermon on this topic a, a couple of months ago. Excellent sermon. You can listen to that online. But this morning, as we're going to see, James deals specifically with the sins of slandering and judging others unfairly. 
look with me at, at what he says about this. These sins, in some sense, can be more common in our lives than we might think. Okay, we'll pick it up. Verse 11, he says this. He says, brothers, do not slander one another. It's interesting, remember Satan in Scripture is called the great slander. And in some sense, we participate in his work when we slander others. James goes on, he says, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up where we're heading in this sermon, I want to first of all identify what is the problem, what are the attitudes and behaviors here that James is addressing, and then secondly, how does the gospel speak to this. Well, very clearly, what what James is condemning here is slandering others and and judging other people unfairly. See, he gets right to the point. He says, brothers, do not slander one another. And so the question is, is what is slanderous speech? Well, the word slander means to say something untrue or malicious about someone to damage their reputation. It's almost equivalent to lying. But I think James here has more in mind than just slander. Literally, he says, do not speak down or or speak against one another. And so I think what James is condemning is any kind of speech, even if it's true that has the purpose to hurt or to run another person down. Remember the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said that we're to speak what the truth in love, to build others up. But sometimes we speak truth. We share information about someone, but the motive behind our speech at the end of the day is to tear others down. So I think that what James is saying, when anything comes out of your mouth, and you're talking about your boss, your neighbor, your pastor, I'll throw myself in there, your friend, and when you're done speaking, the person who is hearing has a lower or more negative view or less respect for that person because you've run them down, James says, don't do it. Don't do it. He's a little bit like Austin Powers. Remember in that movie as he's shushing his nephew, telling him to be quiet? That's what James is doing, saying here. He's shushing us when you want to run someone else down. See, I think that being a Christian in our communication with others entails more than just telling the truth. If you think about it, truth can be a powerful thing. Truth can be used to heal, to help. But truth can also be used to destroy. 
And so I think James here wants us to ask the question, why are you telling this truth? What is your purpose in telling the truth? How are you using the truth you see in your conversation? What's the heart motive? Are you speaking the truth in love? Are you speaking the truth to tear other people down, to diminish them somehow in the eyes of others? If you think I've missed it on this, you know, Tim Keller says this about this. He says, the verb slander simply means to speak against. It's not necessarily a a false report, just an against report. The intent is to belittle one another, to pour out contempt, to mock, to hurt, to harm, to destroy, to rejoice in purported evil. This can't mean simple disagreement with ideas. That would mean that we could never have a debate over a point. This isn't respectful disagreement with ideas. In other words, you know, think of political debate. If that's true, it'd rule that out. I don't think that's what it's saying. No, James warns against attacking a person's motives and character. And so that the listener's respect and love for that person is undermined. Do you see what he's saying there? You get that? And so what are maybe some practical examples of this? How does this happen today? How how does this happen in our lives? Well, speaking against others, I think, can take lots of forms, including criticism and gossip. Sometimes it happens in the form of prayer requests. Okay, you know how it goes. Someone walks up, and it usually starts out with, well, I really shouldn't say anything. And by the way, when someone says that to you, maybe your answer should be, well, then, then, then don't. But it usually starts out with, that way. And, and they say, well, I shouldn't really say anything, but this is so you can pray. And, and we rarely ever do pray. But, and they say this, and please don't pass this on. But Bob and Judy need prayer. Oh, really? Why? We entertain it. We, we like to hear the negative information about someone else, make ourselves feel better. Well, you know, they say, well, they're having problems. You know, I mean, ever since their son but had that drug problem. Oh, you didn't know about the drug problem? Well, you, you can pray about that too. That's how it goes, right? Now... Is it okay to share a prayer request if someone wants you to do that? In other words, Bob and Judy. Well, I think the answer is yes. But when you do, James says, be sure to check your motives as to why you're doing so. Are you sharing the truth so that others could be built up? Or are we sharing things so that, to people so that their view of that person goes down a couple of notches? There's a big difference. Or speaking against someone can happen just, I think, in the midst of normal conversations with others. Sometimes we aren't even aware that we're doing it. Sometimes it can happen even in the car on the way home from church. It goes like this. Well, I don't know about you guys, but the music really was loud. And the sermon, let's be honest, stunk. I could do way better than that. Well, you probably could. Now, here's the question. 
are there times when honest evaluation of something or someone is proper? Are there times when honest evaluation of something or someone is proper? Well, absolutely, absolutely. You know, think of an employer with an employee. And the question is, is can we ever say things like, you know, that I like to do every now in the sermon, I mentioned this, to poke fun at Royals fans, I like, to, I like to say things like, you know what, the Royals stink. Can we say things like that? Well, of course we can. <laughs> God agrees with that. Come on, let's, let's not take this so far, okay? All speech would stop if that was the case. But here's the thing. The problem is, is we like to critique and criticize everything and everyone. We like to criticize to run other people down. And we're often very critical of others as if we don't have our own weaknesses and faults. We're really good. We're experts at finding faults in others. And at the same time, overlooking our own. Sometimes, unfortunately, even with our kids. See, the thing about my own life, we can get a little bit in these patterns where we're constantly criticizing them about everything they're doing wrong and never, never ever giving them praise. Why? Well, because we're somehow maybe living vicariously through them and they're not really meeting our expectations. Or we just, I think at times, forget what it's like to be a kid and make mistakes. Like we're perfect. Like we never did those very same things. That's why Proverbs 12, 18 says this. It's a great verse. It says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the truth but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. That's so true. Or another example, it goes like this. You know, I can't believe our boss. You know, he didn't ask my opinion in that meeting. You were there. You also saw that PowerPoint presentation he gave. Gosh, my five... My, my fifth grade daughter could do a better job than that. See, just in a normal, it's a normal conversation, but I think in reality, what we're doing is we're running other people down behind their backs. And related to this, some of you people reject running down another person behind their back, but they believe what it's okay if it's done face to face. In other words, they think that pointing out other people's faults is kind of like their spiritual gift as if other people don't really already know what their own weaknesses are. I know someone personally that has said they're like a prophet in the Old Testament, that their spiritual gift is to point out other people's faults, and they go around doing that. I love going out to dinner with that person. It's so much fun. Great to be around. Or catch this, speaking down against others, I think, can also manifest itself in the subtle art of minimizing other people's gifts and accomplishments. Think about it. Have you ever had a conversation with someone, and it seems like when you walk away, you always kind of feel terrible about yourself? Never encouraged, 
never feeling like in some sense they're on your side and want what's best for you. When you're done, uh, your mental abilities, your athletic accomplishments, your parenting skills, your work performance, your house never seems to be quite as good as it was before the conversation with that person. And I think that what James is saying about all of that kind of speech, he's saying stop. Stop slandering one another. Stop criticizing. Stop speaking against one another. Stop running one another down. But only speak the truth in love. Use your words for good and not for harm. And so why do we criticize and, and run other people down? Well, I think it's because, as I said, it, it, when we do that, it, it somehow it makes us feel better about ourselves. But I think the heart of it, to be honest, is pride. It's pride. In fact, one commentator said this. He said, the link of slander to pride in, in James, is James 4.10. Dave talked about that last week shows that slander is not the humble evaluation of error or fault, which we must constantly be doing. Rather, in slander, the speaker speaks as if he would never do the same thing himself. It acts self-righteous and superior towards one's obviously idiotic inferiors. Non-slanderous evaluation is fair-minded. It's constructive. It's gentle, it's guarded, and always demonstrates that speaker's sense how much they share the same frailty, humanity, and sinful nature with the one being criticized. It shows a profound awareness of your own sin. It's humble. It is never against speaking. So let me ask you this. How are you doing <laughs> when it comes to sins of the time? What does your speech often say about your heart motives? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus said this on Judgment Day, that everything, catch this, said in secret is going to be revealed. That verse scares me to death. i got to be honest. I'm going to cling to Jesus. He's my Savior, right? As we think about our words, about one another. But the question is, is do your words about other people, will, it pass, will they pass the test on that day? But James, you'll notice here, he, he doesn't stop just with slander as if, you know, that's not convicting enough. He goes on to, to talk about the whole subject of judging. He says this, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but you're sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, James here says, don't judge. 
Don't judge. And so the question is, are we as Christians ever supposed to make judgments? It's an important topic. And people today tell us, they, they say, don't judge. Don't judge. And what they mean by that, what they think James means by it, what they think that Jesus means back in Matthew 7, in Matthew 7, remember he says, judge not, least ye be judged. It's kind of the one verse in all the Bible that everyone seems to have memorized. Is What they mean is, is that we are never to make moral evaluations. See, somebody says to you, well, let, just let me ask you a question. Do you think that a person is lost because they don't believe what you believe? Do you think a person is sinning because they don't believe what you believe? Well, the truth is, is that if you sit there and no matter how nicely you put it and you say, well, yeah, I... I, I, I do. Usually what people say is, you know, that's, that's what I don't like about you Christians. You're always judging. See, the thinking goes, we must never ever say someone else's religion is wrong. Someone else's behavior is wrong. We must never judge. We must never make a moral evaluation. Let me just point out here that when somebody says that you must never make a moral evaluation, that's a moral evaluation, okay? When they say you must never come, uh, uh, call someone else's truth claim or call someone else's religion wrong, they're doing that to you at that very moment, okay? And so you might want to point that out to them in love. We, we do need to be respectful, but I think when it comes to this topic of judging, there's a lot of confusion. And it seems that we as Christians often gravitate between two extremes. Either we're too judgmental, too harsh, too critical, and we all know Christians and churches that are like that. They're legalistic, self-righteous, condemning everyone. And non-Christians are rightfully turned off by that kind of spirit. Or I think we go to the other extreme and we won't judge anything at all. We won't challenge our culture on anything. And therefore, our culture determines at the end of the day what's moral, what's right. And so the question is, is what did Jesus and James mean when they said that we're not to judge? Well, obviously, they're not saying that as Christians, we should never make judgments. And so, for example, in Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says what? We're to watch out for false prophets. We're to judge what people teach by the word of God. That, that should be our standard. In some sense, you should be judging me right now. If what I'm saying matches up to Scripture. The Bible also says that we're to judge behavior, adultery, murder, theft, lying, and that list could go on and on, are to be seen as sins. James himself in this letter, if you've noticed, is making judgments all over the place. He's saying these attitudes and behaviors are right, these attitudes and behaviors are wrong. See, because God has spoken. 
Because God has spoken in, it, in the Bible, we can make judgments. We do need to speak truth. We also know that there are times when we have to speak truth to one another in love to build up. To help someone that's caught maybe in some sins. There are times we have to, in some sense, judge to help remove the speck from someone else's eye, as Jesus said that we're to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, we only do that if, at the same time, we're kind of dealing with the planks in our own eyes, right? Don't forget that part of it. You know, I, I don't think that I've ever shared this story in a sermon before, uh, partly because it just makes me look so bad. But uh, in my household, we kind of refer to this as the Mother's Day Massacre, okay, because I'm the one that got massacred. But uh, about 13 years ago, after uh, our first son was born, uh, uh, we came up on the first Mother's Day that, that Lynn ever had, okay? And obviously, it was a Sunday morning, and I had been working hard that whole week on, on the sermon, and I preached that morning, and I got home. I remember walking in the door, and Lynn is standing there, and she's looking at me, and uh, she said, well, so what'd you get me? And, and, and the first thought that went in my mind, I thought, well, you're not my mother, but I, I didn't say that, okay? I was smart enough not to say that, but I, I could tell that she was hurt by this, okay? I had blown it. I knew it. And uh, not to justify myself, okay, at, at all, but you've got to understand that my wife comes from a different background than I do. In my wife's family growing up, they would celebrate every holiday, okay? You know, Arbor Day, okay? They're giving, <laughs> writing letters and giving cards to one another, okay? In my household growing up, not so much, okay? We exchange presents on Christmas, that kind of thing. But I could tell that Lynn, was, she was really hurt. And at that point, instead of just, you know, owning up, confessing my sin, repenting, being humble, I decided to get into this argument with her. And I tried to turn the conversation in my favor. And so I said, well, you, you know, you're, you're being selfish. You're not being sensitive to my needs and kind of, the, you know, I've been working so hard and all these things. You know how it goes. And in the midst of the conversation, I decided to just, I, I got up and I, and I, I just stormed out of the room, and I went into our bedroom, and I laid down in our bed, kind of crawled up in the fetal position there, and uh, Lynn thought that I'd gone to the bathroom. She didn't think the conversation was over, and so she followed, came into the bedroom, and she saw me laying there on the bed, and I remember she said to me, she goes, oh, no, 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 <laughs> she goes, Shay, you need to get up and take this like a man. I love my wife for saying that to me. I mean, but I think she was speaking truth and love. I'm, I'm not quite sure. But, but, but you know what? I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that from my wife. Sometimes we have to do that for one another. Sometimes we have to say hard things to one another in love. We need people like that in our lives. It's very important. See, James and Jesus are not condemning all judging, but a certain kind of attitude, a judgmental spirit. 
And to define a judgmental spirit, I think the best example that I can give you is the Pharisees. Remember in Luke 18, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. And the Pharisee prayed these words, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other men, including this tax collector. See, what Jesus is condemning is our tendency to see the faults of others while we overlook our own. But he's also condemning a spirit that wants to, ironically, condemn and write people off, thinking they're not worthy, thinking they're not worth much. And he says, get rid of every shred of self-righteousness. Get rid of every shred of feeling superior to other people. Be humble and be kind and be generous in your estimation of others. James says, stop judging. Stop judging one another. And so why are speaking against others and judgmental attitudes some of the very worst sins in the Bible? You might not think that. But James says, first of all, because in this discussion about the law, he says it demonstrates a total disregard for God's second highest command, and that is to love one another. But secondly, to be a judge in the sense of knowing what someone really deserves, you need to know all the facts. You need to know all the circumstances, people's motives, their hearts, what came before, their backgrounds, what all the situations and circumstances could be. And then based upon all of that knowledge, you make a judgment. And who's the only person that knows everything about everything? It's God. It's God. But when we judge others thinking that we, kind of writing them off, thinking we know what they deserve, thinking, God, boy, I hope you punish them. I hope you get them. We're taking his place. We're taking his place. And James says to us, he says, who are you (laughs) to judge? You're not God. You're not qualified for that role. Never presume to know someone else's story and what they deserve. Never presume to know someone else's story and what they deserve. See, here's a person who looks less patient than you. And you look down upon them. Well, you know, you have no idea what kind of background she had. You have no idea how her parents maybe treated her. She could be twice as patient as she used to be, and you have never improved in that area in your whole life. She could be a far better steward of the deck that life has dealt her than you have with a deck that God in life has given you, don't you? Think about that for a moment. See, only God has enough wisdom to judge fairly. 
And that's why James says, don't judge. It's not our job. It's not our place. And so finally, how do we break this habit of speaking against others and judging other people? How do we become people who stand for truth but who are characterized by love? How do we become people who are able to say to others, to our culture, yes, that's wrong. Yes, that's wrong. But when they hear us say that, they never feel judged by us. They never feel judged. Well, I think we become that kind of church by constantly reminding ourselves of the gospel. When we're tempted to criticize or to gossip or to look down on another person thinking that we're better than they are, or when we're tempted to condemn someone, we have to remember God didn't condemn us. God didn't judge us in that while we were yet sinners and deserving of condemnation and judgment, Christ Jesus died for us. And the more we get that, the more we believe that, the the more we realize the grace and the mercy of Christ to sinners like us will be gracious with our words and will be gracious in our judgment of other people. As a worship team comes up, would you pray with me? Father, I pray as I think about my own life that you would forgive us of how we hurt one another with our words. It's so ugly. We often bite and devour one another. We can be so critical of others. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to fight against this sin in our lives. And Lord, forgive us of being judgmental, of judging other people when we have no right to be their judge. Lord, we thank you that in Christ you won't judge us, but you judged your own son. I pray that you'd help us to see that and to let that truth melt our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.